88K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. The government relaxes some social distancing measures for tour groups and weddings. But a lawmaker questions the motivation for keeping the social gathering limit at four people. And Hong Kong's unemployment rate climbs to a 16-year high. The government has further relaxed some of its social distancing measures, including for local tour groups and weddings, as the city's coronavirus situation eases. Here's Priscilla Ng. From Friday, licensed travel agencies will be allowed to run tour groups of not more than 30 people. The Secretary for Commerce and Economic Development, Edward Yao, said agencies will be required to record the personal information and contact details of travelers, check their temperature, and ensure they wear face masks at all times, except when they're eating. He said the Travel Industry Council will make sure the agencies comply with the rules. The uh, proposed exemption for the local tour arrangement is premised on the understanding that tourist agents, being the organizer of all these uh, exempted tour groups, would take the extra steps in protecting public health, in minimizing the risk. And at the same time, people joining this group will also be assured that, well, they are getting a service better than managing their own. So that's why a very important condition on this entire arrangement is for Travel Industry Council as the industry's sort of representative group to uh, help us to administer the entire sort of arrangement through the undertaking signed between the council and the individual travel agents. Agencies found to have breached the rules could lose their license. Mr. Yao played down suggestions that the relaxation would encourage more people to venture out spreading the virus. He said many people are already out and about as the local outbreak eases and regulating tour groups could help to mitigate health risks through, for example, the tracing of travelers. Curbs on weddings will also be eased from Friday, with ceremonies accommodating a maximum of 50 people, up from 20 currently. But no food or drinks will be allowed. Secretary for Food and Health Sophia Chan said with the recent drop in new COVID cases, the easing of restrictions will allow more social and economic activities to resume. Other existing social distancing measures will be extended by another week, including a ban on gatherings of more than four people in public places. The health chief said they still don't want to see crowds gathering, but the risks involving tour groups are manageable because the exemptions come with conditions. Existing curbs on bars and restaurants will also remain in place. But Civic Party lawmaker Kwok Kaki says it's unreasonable for the government to maintain the social gathering limit at four people and questioned whether or not the decision was politically motivated. From a scientific point of view or from a medical point of view, to relax the restriction of local tour to allow 30 persons to join a local tour and also allowing 50 persons to join wedding ceremony. It's certainly of no reason to think of a lower risk than four people gathering on their outdoor activities. In fact, this kind of restriction serves no purpose but to restrict a lot of social activities like gathering, protests, demonstration. Hong Kong's jobless rate rose to 6.4% as of last month, an almost 16-year high. The government says while there were signs the situation eased in September, the local job market will remain under pressure going forward. Cecil Wong reports. The new 6.4% jobless rate covers a three-month period from July to September and is an increase of 0.3 percentage points from the previous reading. The number of jobless people rose by 11,500 to just shy of 260,000. 
The government says virtually all major economic sectors saw an increase in unemployment, with sectors directly affected by the COVID-19 pandemic particularly hard hit. For example, the jobless figure for consumption and tourism-related trades surged to 11.7%. That's the highest level since SARS hit in 2003. The underemployment rate, meanwhile, stayed unchanged at 3.8%. Labor and Welfare Secretary La Chi Kuang says while things were particularly bad during July and August amid a third wave of coronavirus infections here, he says the pressure faced by the labor market showed signs of stabilization towards the end of the quarter as the local epidemic situation abated in September. But he warned that with the overall economic situation still weak and the global pandemic still evolving, the labor market will remain under pressure in the near term. Dr. Law also says the government has rolled out relief measures on an unprecedented scale to help workers keep their jobs, and it will continue to monitor the situation closely. You're listening to RTHK. The time is coming up to five minutes past 11. Hong Kong has seen a COVID-19 infection with no known source for the first time in four days. Health officials say they don't know where a 32-year-old office worker caught the virus. Vicky Wong reports. The woman lives in Grand Promenade in Sai Wan Ho and works in an office at One Island East. She started feeling unwell on Friday last week and visited a private doctor on Sunday. Dr. Chuang Shuk Kwan of the Centre for Health Protection says the doctor thought the patient's symptoms didn't look like those associated with COVID-19, but advised her to get tested for the virus if she was worried. The woman visited a temporary testing centre in Yaomate the same day. Six family members who had meals with her, as well as three colleagues who sat close to her in the office, are to be put in quarantine. Around another 100 colleagues who worked on the same floor are to be tested for the virus, and the authorities have advised that the office be shut and thoroughly disinfected. There are also another four infections linked to overseas travel, with the patients recently returning from India, Russia, the UK and France. Five pan-democracy candidates have thrown their hats into the ring for the employee representative seats on the Labour Advisory Board, the first time such a challenge is being mounted since the 1997 handover. Candice Wong reports. The opposition camp has boycotted the panel's elections for more than 23 years, saying they think the polls for the board's five worker representatives are unfair, being as only registered unions are allowed to vote. This stance has paved the way for the seats to be held year after year by the pro-government camp, which controls most of the unions. But with the emergence of new unions during the social unrest that gripped the city last year, some pro-democracy candidates have decided to break this long-standing practice and run for seats when the current term of the board's membership expires later this year. They include representatives of some of their newly formed unions, including Alex Choi from the Hong Kong Hotel Employees Union and Raymond Lee from the Social and Political Organization Workers Union. E.C. Kwok, who is the chairman of the Hong Kong Financial Industry Employees General Union, is also eyeing one of the five seats. He says that after last year, protest, they realized the established unions cannot reflect the opinions of employees. We want to focus on the election mechanism and also to let the society know the pro-government party, they are not helping labor at all. And it also shows our labor policy is not improving at all because of this board in the labor department. So we would like to come out and go for the election and show it to the society. The polls for the five seats in the Labour Advisory Board will be held on November the 21st. One of the incumbents, Bill Tang from the pro-Beijing Federation of Trade Unions, is reportedly seeking another term. 
Chief Executive Carrie Lam has insisted that she does care about Hong Kong and people shouldn't misunderstand her recent comment about the rise of neighbouring Sun Jun. Damon Pang has details. Mrs Lam says her remark about not minding that Shenzhen's GDP has surpassed that of Hong Kong should not be taken out of context. She says it's natural for Shenzhen to grow faster as it is much bigger than Hong Kong with a lot more people and her comment does not mean that she doesn't care about the SAR. If I don't care, I will not spend so much time to nurture and promote Hong Kong mainland relationship and Hong Kong Shenzhen relationship. If I don't care, I will not put up all these proposals or support measures to the central people's government for them to consider positively so that I can take Hong Kong's economy to another high level. Think Tank chief Lao Siu Kai had told RTHK that Mrs Lam should be worried about the territory losing its competitive edge and her administration ought to develop a sense of crisis. Last week, Beijing announced new measures to strengthen Shenzhen's development as a tech hub, with President Xi Jinping describing the city as the engine of the Greater Bay Area. But Mrs Lam says she wants Hong Kong and Shenzhen to be dual growth engines. I'm now aiming that both Hong Kong and Shenzhen will become a dual engine for growth in the Greater Bay Area and of course in the whole of China. That is my strategy to help Hong Kong's economy not only to recover, but to prosper in the coming years. The CE says she is looking to increase cooperation between the two cities in areas such as innovation and technology, medicine and higher education. Mrs Lam also defended plans to allow people living on the mainland to cast ballots there for Hong Kong elections. She refused to confirm if a public consultation on the idea would be held, saying the public and lawmakers could express their views before a bill is put to LegCo. The reality is a large number of uh, Hong Kong permanent residents uh, who are registered voters and who are eligible to vote are now spending a lot of time in the mainland whether it is for work, for investment, for study. That is um, a reality, okay? And so these people will also expect that they have a chance to uh, vote in a general election uh, in Hong Kong because they still have very strong connections uh, with Hong Kong. And for argument's sake, nowadays, uh, some of the policies of the Hong Kong ASEAN government do have a mainland dimension. And these people are um, uh, very uh, concerned and, um, about any such policy. So it would be um, not reasonable uh, to deny them of a chance to vote. And this is what I meant by uh, the public or the society expectations. Any change in the voting arrangements, uh, especially to allow voting to take place outside of Hong Kong, will require a legislative amendment. So, of course, uh, the public will, will have a chance to express the view. Uh, similarly, the Legislative Council will have a chance to decide whether they will support uh, this particular measure. Carrie Lam also rejected concerns that the Lantau Tomorrow Vision Project contradicts President Xi Jinping's call to protect the environment, saying every jurisdiction has its unique circumstances. Richard Pine has that story. In a recent interview, the chief executive herself had quoted President Xi as saying that conservation is important. But when asked whether the mega reclamation that her administration is planning in Lantau waters contradicts this, Carrie Lam said every jurisdiction has its unique circumstances, and Hong Kong also has its development limitations. 
If you don't allow the government to uh, touch the country parks, the wetlands, if there are extreme difficulties in um, uh, resuming some of the land because they have active operations uh, which will affect the economy, then uh, reclamation that we have been proposing is one of the feasible options. Mrs Lam added that reclamation could actually benefit the environment, saying it can absorb the public fill materials created by building works in Hong Kong, which at the moment are shipped to Taishan on the mainland for reclamation. She said the quota will be exhausted in a couple of years' time, and Hong Kong will need to find another solution. But Democratic Party lawmaker Andrew Wan says there's no reason why the government should resort to reclamation instead of resuming large swathes of agricultural land being held by developers. We have land in Hong Kong. We just do not have a fair distribution of land in Hong Kong. So it's better stop thinking about reclamation in Lantau tomorrow. It's better to think about the abandoned agricultural land in the new territories, which is in the hand of the real estate developers. He says by focusing on reclamation, the CE is just kowtowing to the demands of big developers. Pro-establishment lawmaker Priscilla Leung has warned the government not to scrap plans to extend a transport subsidy scheme to more elderly people. Currently, over 65s can get rides on public transport for just $2. And the government had announced that the plan would be extended to cover everyone over 60. But reports have emerged of a split within the Executive Council about the efficacy of the scheme. The Business and Professionals Alliance member says not going through with the plan could result in legal action. We also find that if we could offer these traffic subsidies to those age of people, they'd be able to work and live normally, participating in social lives or even doing part-time. And at the end, it may also reduce the public expenditure in medical care, etc. So also because the chief executive as well as the bureau secretary already promised to the public that they are going to deliver this policy by the end of this year and at the latest next year, they cannot withdraw now. It has already generated legitimate expectation of the public. If they withdraw this public promise, I doubt they would face judicial review. And that may also be a very likely case that the government will lose. Reports in the U.S. say the Department of Justice is about to charge Google with breaking antitrust laws, accusing the company of abusing its monopoly over online searches. The federal government is expected to file the lawsuit in a Washington court shortly. It's likely to begin a legal battle lasting years. Google has always denied abusing its market dominance. It's been fined by competition regulators in Europe. A reminder of our top stories tonight. The government relaxes some social distancing measures for tour groups and weddings. But a lawmaker questions the motivation for keeping the social gathering limit at four people. And Hong Kong's unemployment rate climbs to a 16-year high. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. The government has further relaxed some of its social distancing measures as the city's coronavirus situation eases. From Friday, licensed travel agencies will be allowed to run tours of not more than 30 people. 
but agencies will have to keep records of who took part in the tours, including their contact details. All participants also need to have their temperatures checked and wear a face mask at all times. Jason Wong, the chairman of the Travel Industry Council, spoke to Jim Gould about the new arrangements. I think we welcome such arrangements that under existing circumstances, travel agents might not be able to organise inbound or outbound business. So the local tour is only a chance to operate under the existing circumstances. And this conditional exemption may grant us some certain extent for us to operate. So 30 people per tour is a lot more than the four-person limit, which remains for public gatherings. So, so how can travel agents minimise the risks of infection uh, during those trips? Actually, under our conditional exemption granted to all the travel agents who have signed up and undertaken with us, they would need to request or arrange their tours to fulfil certain requirements so that they can grant such an exemption, like to organise the tours, including the travel guide under the number of 30, and have a temperature check on all the tour members before the coach or start the tour. So they need to get a travel insurance for all the tour members as well. And would most trips involve a stop for lunch, uh, or would uh, people have to bring their own food? Um, um, if, if they did stop for lunch, would you have to make special arrangements uh, for people to sit apart? It's okay for the tour to arrange meals, but of course they still need to operate under the social gathering ban, which means they can only sit within four passengers per group inside the restaurant. But of course, shop agents may have to arrange to make sure that the group fulfills such requirements. Okay, and what are the main attractions that these tours are likely to focus on? I mean, uh, Repulse Bay, Stanley? I think right now we will be more focused in some green tours because of the green local tour incentive programs provided by CEDB that may help create more incentive for the travel agents to operate uh, local tours with some green spots. Those green spots, of course, they may include some uh, facilities in what you just mentioned, like Stanley or Repulse Bay and some other park in the new territories. So will there be any measures to try to avoid overcrowding at popular places? Well, we have briefed all the travel agents and also their tour leaders. They might have to arrange the tour members to visit indoor facilities in separate groups, and which help to keep and uh, social distancing within the group uh, throughout the tours. And, uh, of course, inside the restaurant as well. And all the tour members are required to wear the mask which is compulsory throughout the tour. Since uh, very few people can travel out of Hong Kong at the moment, uh, how popular do you expect that these local tours will be? Well, I, again, it's, uh, even Hong Kong people right now, they can't travel outside and uh, no more inbound from foreign countries right now. I guess that, uh, Hong Kong people would be love to explore the, the new territories or, or the green spots during the weekend or holidays. And uh, a travel agent is also very likely to operate more green tours for the local customers. And uh, 
we, we wish the exemption could give us a, a more chance to operate in this period of time. But again, I think the most important thing is to have to open up the border to mainland China and Macau or even foreign countries under the travel bubble. I think that would be more useful for, for the travel trade. The founder of Centerline Property has welcomed the government withdrawal of its proposed vacancy tax on unsold flats held by developers and says it shouldn't try to reintroduce it in future. Shi Wingqing says the market situation has changed and the downward trend in prices means there's no incentive for developers to hold out for better sales. Mr Shi also told Mike Weeks the tax could have delayed entire developments getting on the market. The market situation has changed a lot. Now the price is actually heading downwards, so there is no incentive for the developer to withhold their sales because delaying in sales does not guarantee they can sell the price at a higher level. Actually, they are trying to sell their property as quickly as possible. The property in hand in the developer, the unsold property, is increasing, not decreasing, because the market is not so good. Although they are trying very hard to sell their property, the result is not good. Okay, the government says it's going to keep a close eye on the property market and may reintroduce the vacancy tax. Do you think it worked at all to deter property developers from hoarding new flats just by the government proposing it? I'm afraid the effect is just opposite to the government desired because now most of the developers are quite eager to sell their property during the construction period. They apply for consent to sell as early as possible. If the vacancy test is introduced, I think the developer will make use all the time allowed by the condition for sale of the land. Because if the property is not selling well, they can delay their application for the occupancy period, uh, then it will delay the supply, uh, the physical supply to the market. Afghanistan's National Security Advisor Hamdullah Mohib says the government is preparing for both peace and war and doing everything it can to mitigate what he calls the very real threat of an Afghan civil war. The warning comes at a time of an impasse in the Afghan peace talks in the Gulf state of Qatar and uncertainty over the timings of a planned US troop pullout in the midst of intensifying Taliban violence. The BBC's Lee Doucet spoke to him in Kabul and began by asking him if US President Donald Trump's recent tweet saying all US forces would be home by Christmas came as a surprise. So we had been preparing ourselves for this and uh, I think... While it was surprising for many in the government, particularly at the senior levels, we were expecting this to happen. If the Taliban keep their word on the security guarantees, all US-led NATO forces could be out by the beginning of May. Do you worry about that scenario? No. I am concerned about some of the implications it will have. I'm not worried. 
we're doing everything we can to give peace a chance. We're looking forward to see if the Taliban would be willing to make a compromise and be realistic about what their role in the future of Afghanistan could be. But if they continue to insist that we surrender the Afghan people to them, then we have a defensive plan that will protect the people in our country. So while some Afghans are at the table talking peace, where you are, you're also preparing for war. I think war and peace go together. The Taliban will never make peace with us in earnest if they don't believe that we can defeat them in, in war. So what they're doing right now is buying time because they don't believe in our capabilities. They think that perhaps once the Americans are gone, the Afghan security forces will collapse, the government will not be able to sustain itself. They still don't believe that the operations we're conducting are operations by the ANDSF. They claim that this must be the Americans helping us. I have news for them. Unfortunately for them, this is not true. The Taliban tested you in Helmand, and the only way you were able to push them back was by getting air support from the United States. This is Afghans' fear that the U.S. forces will leave and the Taliban will take one provincial capital after the other. This must be on your mind. It's not that easy. I think They've people so look close, at it. No. And in the end, the American support made all the difference between defeat or success. You, I mean, you know that so well. I agree that the Americans' help was critical this time round. And every time, Kunduz last year, every time they've come close to a provincial capital, it is the American air support that made the difference between success or failure for your forces. Yes, we got some help from the Americans in Helmand, but on the ground it's the Afghan security forces that have been doing the fighting. The mayor of the Danish capital, Copenhagen, has resigned over allegations of sexual misconduct. Last week, two women went public with allegations of harassment by Frank Jensen, who is also the deputy leader of Denmark's governing Social Democrats. Earlier this month, the leader of the country's Social Liberal Party also resigned after it emerged that he'd harassed a female colleague. And Sophia Lapp is a lawyer and broadcaster in Copenhagen. What we're experiencing in this country is quite a revolution and it's uh, something that we haven't seen before. We have seen in the last few days that both the party leader uh, has resigned and also now uh, the Lord Mayor of Copenhagen has just stepped down today, which is quite dramatic in a small country like ours. Allegations regarding the conduct of the Lord Mayor goes back to uh, 2004, where the first case have uh, arisen. Really, within the political environment and the press in Denmark, everyone has known that the mayor just had a bit of a problem. He was also a minister, a prominent uh, minister, uh, once a contender for uh, the chairmanship of the Social Democratic Party, which is right now in power. So this is no ordinary politician. He's a very uh, highly regarded, uh, well-esteemed career politician. Denmark has uh, not found the issue of sexism to be of relevance to us. So we've been resisting taking it in as a topic of uh, conversation. We've had over the past decade, we've had uh, stemming, in fact, from your country, uh, the Everyday Sexism Project. But that didn't penetrate the frontiers of the Danish nation. We didn't really take it in, mainly because we think that equality was something that we achieved back in the 70s. And nobody has really bothered to, to question that notion 
since, not really. And so when Me Too came, it became somewhat of a discussion, but it landed around the film industry and nobody really cared too much about looking at the greater picture. And what happened this year and what has really changed everything is that a very popular TV personality, a young woman, she stood up at an award show and she relayed her own personal story, which was quite unpleasant to listen to, that was uh, transmitted to a, a great sort of national audience. That provoked a huge discussion. I think the real difference is that she landed the sexism issue right in the heart of the media. And so the media could not reject it as something that wasn't relevant to the Danish nation anymore. And that started a small revolution, which mm. we are in the middle of. Wildlife experts in Australia are deploying drones to drop 40,000 gum tree seeds a day in an attempt to save koalas by regenerating some of the bushland destroyed by recent wildfires. Gum tree leaves are koalas' main source of food. But will aerial seed distribution be enough to save the iconic species? The BBC's Stephanie Prentice has been looking into the story. Doing a little koala rescue. She's a mother with a baby. Just trying to collect as many live ones as we can. Videos of koalas dying from burns, starvation and dehydration were widely circulated in the aftermath of the Australian bushfires this summer. Poor little thing. It's impossible to know how many died, but estimates say it could be 10% of the population and the fires that incinerated habitats nearly half the size of the United Kingdom left many of those that survived with nowhere to go. Now, authorities are trying to regenerate bushlands and forests as quickly as possible to help a species that was already struggling with population numbers. Kelly Lee works for the Science for Wildlife Conservation Group. So overall, the koalas have been declining for many years now, which is a real area of concern. In these protected areas, you know, we found these populations that have been doing really well, young and growing populations, and the main threats to them have been fires. And for a few years now, you know, we've always known it would be a threat here. Um, but we just we saw something of a scale we'd never imagined happen last summer. During the fires, helicopters were used to drop food to help starving animals, and now drones will drop seeds from above and strategically too in an attempt to create corridors of trees and to reach inaccessible areas. It's hoped the new habitats could eventually double the numbers of the marsupials. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Due to the volatile COVID-19 situation, the public should stay at home and avoid going out, in particular elderly persons, as they have higher risk of severe illness. Family and friends should help them with shopping and other daily needs. If elderly persons must go out, they need to wear a mask and wash hands frequently. Pay attention to the latest situation. See your doctor promptly if feeling unwell, even if the symptoms are mild. Let's fight the virus together. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 This is it. Moments to remember. Nostalgia with Ray Cordero all the way. Until 1 a.m. Oh, we're going to have a great time together.
It's the music of Mantovani, none but the lonely heart. Let's bring in now someone's favorite, sung by Gordon McRae. When I was a young man courting the girls, I played me a waiting game. If a maid refused me with tossing curls I let the old earth take a couple of words While I plied her with tears in lieu of pearls And as time came around, she came my way As time came around, she came As time came around, she came. 